It is a question that has been called a lot of things. It's been called the question of the man in the desert, the question of the ignorant savage, the question of the man on the island, the question of the man living in Africa. Um, it's a question that is at the heart of several people who don't believe in God, but it's also at the heart of several people who do believe in God, probably more so in their hearts. It's a question that has gone through generations. I asked my youth pastor about it. You guys, I'm sure, have asked Bob about it. And Lord willing, one day your children will ask you about it. Um, it has gone through generation after generation. And, and for generations, Christians continue to look the other way because either they don't want to research it or they genuinely don't know the answer. This question will come up in your lifetime if you are a Christian. It will come up if it hasn't already. And it goes like this. What happens to the man who has never heard the gospel? The person that doesn't get the chance to hear it. What happens to that person? And the Bible answers that question a lot in a lot of places, but one of the most unlikely places that it answers it is Jonah. So, flip or scroll to Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, the last verse of the last chapter of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. And while you're flipping, we're just going to kind of catch up. Um, two weeks ago, we learned you know, what we've been learning all along. God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah does not want to. God makes him go anyway. And Jonah got there, and, and he shared basically the gospel of the Old Testament. Repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, be reconciled to God, turn to God. And the people did, and as a result of this, God overlooked their evil and did not punish them. Jonah is not very pleased about that. Jonah gets extremely angry about that. And listen to God's reasoning in verse 11 of chapter 4. So this is, again, the last verse. And this is what God says to Jonah. Should I not have compassion? And remember that word compassion for later. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more, here it is, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand. One more time. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand? That's a weird way to describe somebody. They don't know the difference between their right and their left hand. That doesn't why, of all the ways you could describe a person, why would God describe them like that? And they don't know their right from their left. And, and, and now it gets even weirder because look up to um, chapter 3, verse 2. So chapter 3 of Jonah, verse 2. And God says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it. Proclaim to it the proclamation that I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. That's the third time it's been called great. It was called great in verse 2. It was called great in verse 3. It was called great in chapter 4, verse 11. This is what that's talking about. At one time, Nineveh was the biggest city in the world. For a very short time in history, Nineveh was the biggest city in the world. Now, did it have this great giant wall surrounding it? I don't know for certain. But here's what I do know. Let's, let's just say it did have a giant wall. As you walk through the giant wall of Nineveh, you would have to then walk through 15 more gates that were built up. And after you walk through these 15 gates that were built, you would come to this place that's called the Palace Without Rival. 
for its time. And this palace had over 80 rooms, and each one of the rooms had a sculpture in it. Now, sculpture made out of stone, okay? But it wasn't just a simple sculpture like of one person or of a small statue. These sculptures were of battle scenes. Three or four different men fighting each other, different poses. A lot of detail goes into this, including one of three men standing over a a monster. So this was a work of fiction. This was a story, okay? Now, as you go in and you take the tour of the palace without rival, and then you come out back past the 15 gates, you might see one of 18 different, I totally blanked on the word, one of 18 different canals, it's not even a hard word, one of 18 different canals that were built into the city of Nineveh by the people to continue letting water flow into Nineveh to keep up its water supply. Now, Why am I telling you these things? What is the point of talking about the architecture? My point is, these people were architects. These people were historians. Remember the sculptures? These people were storytellers. These people were warriors. You can't build these things. You can't do these things if you don't know your right from your left. These people knew their right from their left. So what is God talking about? What does does this mean? When the Bible says right to left in this instance of Jonah, it's not talking about direction. It's talking about morality. It's talking about right and wrong. Now let me explain this. Um, Use your table of contents and go to Ecclesiastes 10.2. Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs, if that helps anybody. Ecclesiastes 10.2. And we're going to do some Bible hopping, so don't, don't feel bad if you just kind of have to sit back and, and absorb. That's okay. Um, Ecclesiastes 10.2. And again, um, direction has to do with morality. Right and left is talking about right and wrong. And these are examples of that in the Bible. All right. Ecclesiastes 10.2. And then we're going to hop to another one. So just kind of stay, stay ready. Here we go. Ecclesiastes 10.2. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right But the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. So again, here we go. Direction is not talking about physical direction. It's talking about a choice. The New Living Translation, I think, says turns one way or the other. But again, it has to do with direction and morality go together. Direction and right and wrong go together. All right? Here we go to another one. Deuteronomy 17.20. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy 17.20. Deuteronomy 17.20 says this, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, so that's pride. Your heart gets lifted, your heart expands, that's pride. That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left. So again, he's, he's full of pride, and he makes this choice to, to turn away from what he's been commanded, to the right or to the left. Again, direction has to do with right and wrong. Does that make sense? And there's several like this, but we're just going to do one more to finish this off. 2 Samuel 14, 19. 2 Samuel 14, 19. Here we go. says this... In just a second, Second Samuel fourteen nineteen, And the woman said, Let my lord the king please speak. So the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all these things? And the woman replied, As your soul lives, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left 
about anything my Lord the King has spoken. So when it says they don't know right from left, it doesn't mean that they don't know which way to go or which way to build or what right and left. It means they don't know right from wrong. They don't know. So there it is. What happens to the man that's never heard? What happens to the man that doesn't know, right? That's never heard the gospel, that doesn't know the gospel. They don't know. They're right from the left. They don't know right and wrong. And it's either because they genuinely don't know that what they're doing is wrong, or, and listen to the second one, or they're so lost in their own evil that they don't even understand that what they're doing is wrong anymore. And this second one happens to us all the time, especially in school. Think about it like this. Um, you and your friends start talking about something at school that's not appropriate, whether it be at the lunch table, locker room, in the halls, in class, before class starts, or during class, whatever. Not that you talk during class, but we'll, we'll another time. But... You start talking about something that's inappropriate, and eventually you just kind of, you, you and your friends, you just kind of talk about it so much day after day that it just kind of becomes part of the conversation, right? Or cursing. You'll say a word that's not good, or a group of words that are not good, and you'll just say it. You just start saying it, and you say it so much that it just kind of becomes part of your vocabulary. Or doing something with your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you know is not right, and maybe when you first do it, you don't really, you may think, well, I probably shouldn't have done that, but then you begin to do this thing, this act, so often that it just becomes part of the deal. You see, it's just become part of the deal. You have forgotten your left from your right. You have forgotten morality. You've forgotten. It's gone. You've, in a sense, in a very real sense, forgotten that it's wrong. Does that make sense? So what does the Bible say about this? I mean, what, is, what does it say about this? If you don't know, what, what does the Bible say? Well, let's go to Jonah again. Jonah 1, verse 2. Jonah 1, verse 2. Second verse, first chapter. So again, these people, they are so lost in their evil that they don't even realize that it's evil or they genuinely don't know. And they've been doing this this whole time. What does God think of this? Jonah 1, verse 2. I'm just going to read verse 1 as well. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Here we go. How many times can I say that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. Here it is. For their wickedness has come up against me. The Bible uses the word wicked in every version except for the ESV where it even goes as far to say evil. Their evil has come up against me. Their wickedness has come up against me. Now remember, they don't know. They don't know that it's wrong. And yet, God does not give them a pass because they don't know. God calls it wicked. God calls it evil. And you don't have to turn there, but listen as I read 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.14 1 Peter 1.14 says this, As obedient children, he's talking to Christians, As obedient children, do not be conformed, so don't do, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in 
Ignorance. All right, I got to break that down a little. Ignorance means you don't know. If you if you're ignorant about basketball, you really don't know much about basketball. Okay, you would say like hole in one or something like that. That doesn't apply to the sport at all. Okay, ignorant means you don't know. Do not be conformed. So again, don't do the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance. So lusts means passions. The uh, the NIV calls this evil desires that you did in ignorance that you did when you didn't know. So Peter's advice for Christians is, is, remember those things that you were doing when you didn't know, you genuinely didn't know that they were wrong or you were lost in them even though they were wrong? He doesn't say, just stay away from them. You got a pass, but be sure you don't go back to them. No, he says they are evil. They were evil when you did them and didn't know about it, and they're evil now. Stay away from them. And that's what the Bible has to say. And there are 50 other verses that, that talk about this, but we've we got to keep going. Um, the Bible is clear that even if we don't know that it is wrong, it is still wrong. And there will still be punishment for that. And, and some of you maybe in your head are saying, well, that's not fair. They didn't know. And I get that totally get that but here's but see here's what we do we take christianity and then we t- and then we apply rules to it just to christianity that don't make sense in the rest of the world for example w- let me kind of open that up we, we say that's not fair that god would punish them because they did something wrong when they didn't know all right here we go you have a test on friday let's just say you have a test on friday and you and so it's gonna be a it's gonna be a pretty pretty big bear and so you got you got to just clear your schedule your schedule if you will and study okay so Thursday roll so you're thinking all right th- when Thursday comes I'm just gonna clear my afternoon I'm gonna talk to my coach to see if I can get out of practice I'm gonna put my phone on do not disturb I'm just gonna put under my well I'll keep it on you know whatever and I'll keep my phone on but that's all I won't talk to any of my friends I'm gonna study my tail off. Thursday afternoon, so that I'll be ready for the test on Friday. You get to school Thursday morning, and guess what's waiting in class? The test was Thursday, and you genuinely didn't know. Now, I've been to middle schools, and I've been to high schools. Both my parents are teachers. I've been around school forever. I've never been to a school where the teacher, where you can go to the teacher and say, listen, I genuinely, which is true, you didn't do anything wrong, you genuinely didn't know. I've never heard a teacher say, you know what, it's cool. I've never heard that. Now, every now and again, maybe they will. Every now and again, maybe they'll say, you know what, I believe you, I know you're a good kid, it's okay, you can take it this afternoon, or maybe first thing in the morning. But on the whole, the general rule is, just because you didn't know does not mean that I can let you slide for this. And that's the way it goes with the people of Nineveh. It's the same thing. Jesus shows us this perfectly, as he always does, in maybe his most famous verse. Turn to Luke 23, 34. And I'll give you guys time to get there because you need to see this. Turn to Luke 23, 34. And while you're turning there, Luke 23, verse 34, this is Jesus on the cross. And Jesus is, is, is attempting to speak with God or speaking with God, depending on how you look at the cross. But 
Jesus is on the cross, Luke 23, 34. And you, and you don't even really have to turn there because you know this one. Listen, but listen to this verse in light of what we've been talking about. Jesus says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. So there it is. Straight up. I mean, Jesus has said it. They don't know. They either don't know that it's bad at all, or they don't know how bad it is. They, they do not know. They have not heard. They do not know. And while Jesus is on the cross, does he, does he say, thank goodness they don't know, so now they're off the hook? No. What does Jesus beg for from his Father for these people? Forgiveness. Please forgive them. Guys, you don't have to be forgiven of something if it's not wrong. The only reason you never need to be forgiven of something is when you've done something wrong. So Jesus is saying, even though they don't know what they're doing, the only solution is forgiveness. Guys, whether you know it's a sin, or whether you think it's a sin, or you don't know that it's a sin... It's still wrong, and there is still punishment for that. And the only, the only solution is forgiveness. You cannot be let off the hook because you didn't know. It's still wrong. Just like you would still fail, you would still be punished if you didn't know. And the only solution is forgiveness. So, so what happens, what does happen to the man on the desert island who's never heard the gospel? Well, I'll say this. I hope that someone told that man the gospel before he got there. I hope that someone told him at his work or on a plane or on a boat or at a, hanging out with his friends or at his school. I hope someone told him the gospel and invited him before he got to that island. Guys, there are so many people in your schools that have no idea that what they're doing is wrong, either because they genuinely don't know or because they're so lost in their sin that they don't even realize it anymore. And they stand, look at me, they stand guilty before God. And God will not let them slide because they did not know. The only Cure is, the only solution is forgiveness. These people have to be forgiven. And they're waiting, and they have a church here that is waiting to welcome them and teach them about their sin and God's forgiveness. Will you be Jonah to them? Will you, more than that, will you be... God's compassion to them. Remember I told you to remember compassion earlier? God says, how can I not show compassion on Nineveh? What was God's compassion? It was Jonah. Sending Jonah to say, I, you guys may not know, but this is wrong and you've got to be reconciled to God. You've got to be forgiven. That was God's compassion. Will you be the compassion of God to someone else? Will you invite them? Will you talk to them about God? 
You don't have to have all the answers. Will you speak to them? Will you invite them to come and talk? To come listen? And, and the last thing that I'll say is, is, do you know of the compassion of God? When I speak of God's compassion, when I speak of, of His forgiveness, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Or, or is that foreign? Is that foreign to you? Think about these things. Think on the compassion of God. Christ is the only way. He cannot let us off the hook just because we don't know. That doesn't work in any other circumstance in life. And God created life, so these, this is how he works. It must be through Jesus. And it can't be through him if you don't know him.